0: Um, well done on getting here on time and all that sort of thing. If you have a Bible, which you should, get it open to One Kings, and I'm going to do the same. Settle myself here. You really, you really should have your Bible open. One Kings 21. And what will be very helpful as well is to have the lovely pink outline as we continue in our series. All right. Well, pretty much everyone at one point or another cries out, it's not fair. Perhaps you did this morning over something, I'm not sure. Uh, We cry out for justice. Uh, Sometimes it's trivial and sometimes it's not. So here at the front page of this weekend's news review, we've got Battle for Justice," the headline reads. Uh, it's about justice for victims of the Australian Defence Force Academy sex scandals That sort of that, that pretty horrible story that's ongoing, it looks like. We cry out like my friend Adnan, Pakistani friend from Dubai, who grieved at the loss of family and friends when they get, his family and friends and other Christians gathered on Easter, Sunday morning this year. Uh, In Lahore and Pakistan, they gathered to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and they were targeted by suicide bombers and many of them died. Adnan's friends died. Some members of his family died. And no doubt he cried out, it's not fair. Um, God, will you bring justice? In fact, this same cry... Is of the widow in Jesus' parable in Luke 18, who cried out for justice to a judge who neither feared God or cared what people thought. It's a how much more cry. See, if this woman who finally gets justice from this unjust judge, how much more will God bring justice, Jesus says. So as we turn to 1 Kings 21, with that verse in our minds, we're going to continue in our tale of two thrones. We read this story of gross injustice, and we might cry out, as we hear about Naboth and this vineyard, and Jezebel, this awful woman, we might cry out, God, it's not fair. Will you bring justice? And God's answer is Jesus' answer. God will bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. So, let's pray and we'll get into 1 Kings 21. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who gives us many good things. Uh, Today, we thank you for the rain. We thank you that we can gather together. We know that, as your word says, when two or three are gathered together in your name, you are with us so Lord, we thank you for the, how special and how wonderful church is. Uh, Lord, we pray as we open your word in, in 1 Kings 21, that you will uh, guide us, uh, convict our hearts and minds with your word, by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. It was normal practice for kings to have a second residence in those days, a holiday house, a little shack, not unlike the Queen's pad uh, here at Balmoral. Um, in Ahab's case, it was at Jezreel. Jezreel is about thirty-two clicks northeast of the capital, Samaria. So you can see it there in the map. There is Samaria, uh, the the orange sort of dot there in the middle. The problem for Ahab was that next door to his palace, sorry, his holiday shack, um, was a vineyard. And it was a vineyard owned by Naboth Uh, and a vineyard, a local man, a local winemaker, Naboth, and a vineyard which was getting in the way of Ahab's veggie patch extension. Now years ago, close proximity to the palace, that was a a good thing, it added value to Naboth's investment. So nice views, who doesn't want to look at a palace next door? Uh, Nice Safety in the neighbourhood, extra security, that type of things. But things were not so positive these days. King Ahab's offer to Naboth in verse 2 is pretty straightforward. Let me have your vineyard. In exchange, I'll give you another one out in the boonies or I'll give you some cash. That was his deal, his offer. But Naboth, you see, was a good man. He was a God-fearer, I said. He he knew God's law given to his descendants. The word of God that Ahab had shown complete disregard for so far in his reign. Remember, Ahab's the, the, the king that had done more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, that's a big call. So... Naboth said in obedience to God's word, and if we want the specifics, we can look back to Leviticus 25 or or to Numbers 36. But Naboth, in obedience to God's word, responded to Ahab's offer by saying, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Good, faithful Israelites don't do such things. There's no good reason to sell and give up the land of of his ancestors. Land was important. Land was a gift from God. You don't give it up for some cash or to satisfy a king even. But Naboth's refusal makes Ahab captain cranky. And he heads back next door to the palace with his tail between his legs, like a little toddler, being told he can't have any more chocolate cake. He goes up to his room to have a sulk. End of stage left. Jezebel, verse 5. She wants to know why Ahab is upset and won't come down for dinner. Ahab shares why, and and Jezebel lets loose. So here's the New International Thomas version of what she actually says. Um, Have a look at verse 7 if you'd like to see a slightly closer translation. Get up, you big fluffy cupcake. What sort of king are you? Uh, If you can't show some guts and guts and courage like a real king I will I'll get you your vineyard back now go back to watching the notebook um (laughs) verse 7 slightly different than that but anyway you see Ahab's problem and rightly is that he thought he was subject to the law Jezebel comes along and says no 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 no. you are the law you're the king get up you're the act like a king you see, they never, they never put up with any, any resistance uh, where, where, I should say, where Jezebel was from. They certainly never put up with any, with any resistance from some mere local. You see, if folks resist you, well, you just run over the top of them. That's what you do. So Jezebel gets to work. Let's, let's read from verse 8 then. Verse 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters... Now, just pause for a minute. You notice, notice the deception from the outset. This is an evil woman. Okay. Uh, where are we up to? Verse, well, verse 9. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting, that's prayer, and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them testify that he has cursed God, both, uh, cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. If we kept reading verse 15 and 16, report the swift resolution of Ahab's problem. It was slick, it was well managed, and it only cost a little bit of postage. But did you notice, have a look at it now if you want, did you notice how heartless the account reads? It's so matter of fact, isn't it? Just the hard facts. In fact, you know that Naboth's death is mentioned five times in just four verses. The point the writer wants us to see is that such is the lot for the people of God in this world. It's it's par for the course. God's people, just like Naboth, just like those who first read this account, and just like us, as they are obedient to God's word, they must expect to suffer injustice. Some eight or nine hundred years later, the Apostle Peter writes the same thing. He actually says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. So he says, dear friends. Now, dear friends is not a good translation. It actually should be beloved. He's talking to other Christians, those loved by God. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal, the persecution, if you like, that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And likewise in the Gospels in Mark 13, um, Luke 21, Jesus says, too, that this should be our expectation. What we read in 1 Kings 21 is a true picture of what we can expect as the people of God. It's the sober realism of following Jesus. Jesus says deny yourself, take up your cross. That's what he's referring to, take up your cross and follow me. Now there's a further implication. A further implication is that such injustice, we're on point. Uh, Two of the outline, a further implication is that such injustice like we see in this chapter will sometimes be state sponsored. Again this too should not surprise us. Think of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar fiery furnace, the the lion's den and so forth. With the Christians under the Roman emperors uh, in the first century we read about them in Revelation 2 and 3 to the letters to uh, to the churches. And of course we see it today in countries across the world. We see it in, in Iran, we see it in Saudi Arabia, uh, we, we see it in North Korea. It does beg the question though, doesn't it, that even in modern Australia, I wonder how will we respond if we find ourselves silenced or cut off by law, ridiculed and labelled as haters by government officials or even thrown in prison simply for standing for Jesus? And 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 therefore standing against the social norms of the day. Here's what one author wrote. I think rather um, wisely, he says, "Ordinarily, we are to submit to government. Always, we should be aware of it." They're good words, I think. The third implication of this first principle. That's that, that God's people must expect to suffer injustice, is the great comfort that we have a Naboth who understands. I, I think as we read this story, it's, not hard, it's, it's hard not to hear the words spoken at Jesus' trial and not think of Naboth's unjust trial, or at least his lack of it. As two false witnesses, the injustice, and so on. Matthew twenty six, verse fifty nine. Says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could be put to death, uh, so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, it "Said Jesus walked where Naboth walked." What happens when injustice comes your way, because of the name of Jesus? What if you should suffer in this way? Well, it means that you will not be alone. Jesus understands. He empathises. It's not just sympathises. He empathises. Jesus walked where Naboth walked. Jesus, who shared in Naboth's suffering, is united to you in yours. And that's the comfort of knowing Jesus. Okay, second principle then. Second principle of God's justice and our response to it. You can see it there in the outline. God's servants must be prepared to pay the price of standing for Jesus. Did you notice that one of the sadder aspects of this story, the story of Naboth, is that it could have been stopped? See, we read nothing. There's nothing at all of any protest or any defence of Naboth. Again, it's so matter of fact. Nothing from magistrates... Who would have known the law? Who would have known that what's been what's happening to Naboth is illegal? I can't do that. But there's no protest. There's just silence. There's not even a warning. And perhaps that was the fear that Jezebel brought to the table. Who knows what the Samaria mafia would do to them if they failed to toe the party line? So in their weakness, injustice flourished. It's true, isn't it? Jezebel and her cronies were willing to bend and break all the rules, and no one said a thing. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 26, we read that Naboth's sons were also taken out. Uh, they were also killed, ruling out any possibility of interference with family, interference with uh, uh, any sort of inheritance, that type of thing. As the old quote from Edmund Burke goes, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. (laughs) Heard it quoted many times. See, here's, here's the situation. When we break it down in this principle here, number two in our outline, when we break it down to the bare bones, the problem is actually simple. The decision is a simple one. I'm not saying it's easy, it's a simple one. It's the two thrones again, isn't it? Who do you serve, God or man? Uh, woman, in this case, Jezebel. Our number one idol is pleasing anyone other than God. Maybe there's debate about that, I'm not sure, but I think it's probably true. It's fitting in. It's not causing a stir. I'm not going to say anything. Rock the boat a bit. Pleasing man, humanity, rather than pleasing God. And here's what Jesus says. He says, Don't fear those who kill the body, but are able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, the great mistake here as followers of Jesus would be to simply shake our heads in disapproval of the weakness of those in 1 Kings 21. Oh, they were so bad. They should have said something. Those magistrates, they should have stood up and not blended in. No. You see, Jesus says, this is our decision as well. Which throne will you serve? Well, what else does God tell us about justice? Here's our third principle, and it's good news, that God will bring justice to his people in verses 17 to 26. In verse 16, it's all tied up. It's neat job done. The perfect crime. Jezebel is chuffed with herself and Ahab has finished his tantrum and thinking about which season works best for carrots. Then God speaks. And we ought to go, right. Okay, God speaks. Verse 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria... He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. You can't challenge the throne of God and expect him not to respond. You can't take on God and expect to win. No one is exempt from the scrutiny and judgment of God's word here given through his mouthpiece, the prophet Elijah. No one, whatever their success, uh, whatever their status, whatever their bank account, whatever their title, no one is exempt from the scrutiny and judgment of God's word. But just imagine for a moment that you are one of the Lord's people reading this back then. You're one of the first readers. The Lord's people who have been pushed aside under King Ahab, who have been murdered, those uh, whose prophets have been murdered and hunted down across all of Israel, who have been ignored and kicked and beaten and left for dead look at verse 21 verse 21 uh that's just before verse 21 verse 19 actually verse 19 see tell him so tell ahab elijah this is what the lord says have you not murdered a man and seize his property, then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. Gruesome, but are they not words of life and words of comfort to God's people who cry out for justice? They are. There's something else we must not miss as well. The Lord's intervention in verse 17 is not because of some news leak it's not as if word had slipped out through some untrustworthy soul in King Ahab's media department Um, no no God and then then God heard about it it wasn't some Panama Papers type thing Um, no no the speaking God in verse 17 is also the omniscient God that means he's the God who knows and sees everything the God whom no one can fool you can't, can't pull the wool over God's eyes So yes, there's a a warning here for us about what we think God sees and hears. Perhaps we can get away with it. But there's also great comfort. The great comfort is that God will bring justice to his people who cry out, as Jesus says, in faithfulness day and night. And so in verse 20, here's the justice that's coming Ahab's way. Ahab said to Elijah, So you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered. Because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Baasha son of Ahijah. Because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. There's the justice that's coming his way. You know, the last time Ahab heard something was in verse 16. Have a look at verse 16 there. When Ahab heard, uh, this was, it was good news for Ahab in verse 16 and not so good for Naboth. But these words which we've just read in verses 20 to 24, when Ahab heard them, in verse 27, I hope you're following along with me, what does he do? He humbled himself. Ahab. He repented. Put on sackcloth for mourning and fasted. In fact, God was so impressed with Ahab that he says to Elijah something like, Did you see that? See that? Look at that. And I'm thinking, where does that come from? What? Ahab? What's going on there? It's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? I'm thinking, God, come on. Really? Don't God, don't be naive. Don't be gullible. This is not genuine repentance, is it? It's not, it's not really sorry, is he? It's like you know, when parents force their kids to apologize and say sorry. All right, I'm sorry. Good heartfelt stuff. (laughs) So what's what's going on here then? Perhaps some um, Olympic history might help. Uh, (laughs) What? I'll tell you. Tell me. As far as I know, there are two Olympics that have been cancelled. Can someone shout out and tell me which ones they are? Nope. Thank you. So 1940, Tokyo, and. 19. Close, 1916. There you go. <laughs> I think that's it. Two have been cancelled. They were not repeated. They didn't do them when the war's finished. That's it. There's been talk about. Uh, cancelling, even the Rio Olympics, certainly postponing it because of the Zika virus and all that sort of stuff. It's unlikely that's going to come to anything. Yesterday, there were many a a, a sad soccer player walking around our houses, um, heads down, forlorn, not knowing what to do with their lives because soccer had been cancelled due to the wet. Um, Maybe I'm just speaking of Archie, anyway. Um, Maybe they'll be postponed and they'll get a go later on. I don't know. There's a difference, isn't there, between postponement and cancellation. Uh, and we need to understand the difference to understand what's going on here at the end of the chapter. In verse 29, if you want to look at it again, verse 29, the Lord postpones judgment against Ahab's household, his family, but he does not cancel it. He changes the timetable, but does not remove it from the agenda. In the light of Ahab's response in verse 27, the Lord will not wipe out disaster, wipe out or bring disaster this day; He will do it. Now we'll get to that in a couple of weeks' time in 2 Kings 9 and 10 to finish our series off. But He won't do it now; it'll come in the days of Ahab's son. So now let's go back to Ahab's repentance. Was it real? Was it genuine, sincere? Most of us shook our heads, thinking, eh, "No." And maybe we're right. I don't know. Part of me says though, no, I reckon it was sincere. The problem was it didn't last. And you might say, okay, if repentance is not lasting, then it's not sincere. It's not it's not real. Maybe you're right. You see, he certainly didn't Naboth certainly didn't relinquish his claim on the vineyard, didn't he? He didn't give that back to, to Naboth or Ahab didn't relinquish his claim on the vineyard. Uh, Ahab didn't give it back to Naboth and say, I'm sorry, there you go. And, and nor did Ahab at any point put up his hand and, and ex- admit any guilt in the murder of Naboth and his two sons. But here's what I think we are left with. I think we're left with God's enthusiasm for mercy. Oh, I'm way off from my PowerPoint, sorry about that. God's enthusiasm for mercy, it's point four in our outline as well. It's a little easy for us again to shake our heads at Ahab's short-lived repentance. When we're honest with ourselves, we too can show a token repentance like that. But here's the Lord's appeal. In fact, here's his offer. And I can tell you, I just love this. His offer of mercy. See, by delaying judgment, or justice, on Ahab, isn't the Lord appealing to Ahab to go deeper in his repentance? Isn't that what he's doing? By postponing his justice. Isn't he appealing to Ahab to go deeper? To make it last? To make it real? To make it heartfelt? And hasn't God done exactly that with you and I? Hasn't He? Because that's what God is like. He's merciful, he's full of grace. Loving us despite us. Delaying his judgment when Jesus returns one day so that we can turn to him in repentance. Uh, Simply saying sorry for what we've done and turning away from it. Uh, Turning from worshipping the created things instead to worshipping the creator. So Ephesians 2 verse 3 to 5 says, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. See, friends, God in his mercy is enthusiastic for you to come to Him. He demonstrates this to us most clearly in Jesus' death on the cross for us. He's enthusiastic for us to trust him. He's enthusiastic for us to sit under his throne to find comfort in his love, to find comfort in his justice. So, why don't you uh, do that with me today, hey? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the justice that we know we can trust you in, that one day that justice will come. Uh, we look forward to that day. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your mercy We thank you that you are postponing that justice so that we can come to you, so that we can trust in you, so others we know will come to you. Lord, we pray that you would delay, Lord Jesus, your return so more can know you. Uh, Lord, we um, thank you that you are sovereign and in control of all things. And Lord, today we, we find our comfort in that and we find our comfort in your love for us in Jesus.